From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Emily Arnson. This is your news for Friday, May 26th. Moab got a lot of water this spring. You might think that'll mean this will be a bad year for mosquitoes, but Shannon Amesbury, the interim manager of Moab Mosquito Abatement District, doesn't anticipate a horrible mosquito season. This is the earliest flood I've ever witnessed. Normally they come in about June 10th seems to be their normal peak of a flood year. It looks like this may have already peaked. Yeah, what's the mosquito forecast for the rest of the summer? If you live on the west side of town, get some bug spray. (laughs) So this year, there's been a lot of water, but it happened early, and maybe the way that it happened, it wasn't so bad? The biological cycles are a little bit thrown off. Mosquitoes need a certain amount of degree days. Like warm, warm weather? A bit. The water had a jump on them. And the other advantage is, is there was quite a bit of water in the wetlands before the flood. So if it had dried out and then rewet, that would have been many, many more acres to have to cover. Because the eggs have to dry and rewet. And if they were already wet, yeah, they weren't going to get set off. So next year, if it's a really dry year, will all of those eggs that didn't hatch this year hatch next year? Only if we get a flood. Yeah. After after a drought. Or it don't take long. I mean, even a few days. Of drying out. Yeah, if they dry out and rewet. So, I mean, if the river was to drop, say, two foot and then come up two foot next week, that whole edge that dried out would set off a whole nother batch. And they say they can last like 12 years. If you haven't had a flood in an area in a long, long time and it does get flooded, it's amazing how many mosquitoes come out. Amesbury and his team try to tackle the mosquitoes before they become adults. The larvae are much easier to kill than flying mosquitoes. Earlier this week, Amesbury took me out to the swamp to show me how it's done. Well, here we are. Wow. Get in that swamp? Call that the coot marsh. But first, we had to spray up. Picaridin, not DEET. That's the good stuff? Oh, I love it. Um, the DEET will ruin your sunglasses. What, what do you mean? The it'll molecules like... are so small, it, it'll like strip paint. And I think that's one reason why people are afraid to wear it. Then we put on our waders, and Amesbury handed me my mosquito hunting tool. Can you describe what this is? It's basically a ladle. It's a ladle with a really long handle, so he can scoop up water to check for mosquito larvae. So if you have 10 in a dipper, that's 100 per square foot. That's... Uh, 4,356,000 mosquitoes per acre. <laughs> Is that what we're looking at right now? I don't know. Let's go find out. If you disturb the water, they'll sink and hide. Mm. So you actually have to hunt them. There we go. There's two per dip. What am I looking at? Uh, we've got two larvae here. I'm going to bring them out so you can see them closer. Okay. Oh, I see. It's like a tiny tadpole. We're here just in time. They have to get them while they're still in this like worm phase. The pupa don't eat, so once they're pupa, the only way to kill them is pick them out and squish them, and that's impossible. So the way that you kill them is you put something in the water that they eat. We got a BTI. It's a bacterium thuringiensis. It's a alkaline-based protein that does not hurt other critters because almost everything else has acidic digestion. But mosquitoes happen to have alkaline-based digestion. So when they crack the crystal, the protein crystal, it eats through their guts. And Does it kill any other insects? Uh, it'll kill black flies. They don't really have any friends either. I don't target black flies, but, but if they're there, you, you've got pretty nasty water. 
So you said we got here just in time. Like, how many more days before they would turn into pupae? Judging by the temperature of this water, if I didn't get here by Friday, it'd be too late. Based on the number of larvae we found in the dipper, that would mean... 430,000 per acre. (laughs) Almost half a million mosquitoes hatching out per acre. Oh, they're in here. Oh, yep, we have, I have to treat this before I can leave. Oh, no. How many? One, two, three. Yeah, they're just... They're nasty. Yeah. You know what they eat? What? Bacteria. Gross. I mean, imagine the nastiest water. Mosquitoes love the wetlands, but they can also travel into town. They always need to be near water, but they can use the creeks like highways. Tarsalis has been documented to fly 12 miles in a night. And how do they know where to go? Like, can they smell food? It would be interesting to ask one, but I don't think it would tell you. I think they're attracted to the greenery, and they try to stay in moisture bands. They love feet. That's where they target. Why the feet? Uh, The smell. Uh, That bacteria drives them crazy. Clean your feet, folks. Amesbury recommends that people make sure there's no standing water around their houses. You know, people have a perfectly clean yard, but they forgot their rain gutters. Some of the mosquitoes we have in Moab only need a thimble's amount of water to lay eggs. A top of a fence post that's not capped? Oh, that's perfect for a gypti. All of this work might seem like it's just trying to eradicate a nuisance. Mosquitoes are super annoying. But mosquitoes are also humans' number one predator. They kill 375,000 people a year mosquitoes. They are the world's top human predator. Even more so than wars and each other, mosquitoes are the nastiest thing. From malaria mostly? Mostly malaria, yes. What got you into the mosquito business? I was really passionate about wilderness and the beauty of nature and the whole idea that somebody out there might not care enough about it to do a good job. And When I found out that I could come out here and kill mosquitoes ecologically, I knew that's what I'd probably better go do because I trusted myself more than anybody I could imagine. (laughs) You know, people have these ideas about mosquito abatement. They They think that we're basically running around wanting to just kill everything we can. And really, if I can help Mother Nature do her job, she does a better job at it. God bless the fish. Have you guys ever considered introducing more fish or frogs or something? That was done back in the 50s. They introduced uh, gambusia. They're small fish that are just voracious mosquito hunters. They're still in the creeks today and in the irrigation channels. I understand they're considered an invasive species now and they're trying to eliminate them. I think that's the worst idea ever. (laughs) Sometimes if the mosquitoes are really bad, the team will fog areas around town to kill adult mosquitoes. This has been controversial in the past. Some people think fogging will kill birds or make people sick. Is there anything you want to tell the folks in Moab about spraying or adulticiding if you do have to do that? Well, it's well thought out. It's not just some arbitrary thing that we want to do. I mean, we try to pick the right time of day for the other insects that are out. The formulation, the droplet size in the fog, all those are taken into consideration to kill mosquitoes so what we don't want to do is we're not we don't want to kill ants we don't want to kill dragonflies or bees 
Not even, even the cockroaches are going to be just fine, unfortunately. They only do the fogging, or adulticiding as they call it, if they find certain species of mosquitoes that spread disease. That would be your Culex. They're the West Nile vectors. In 2021, there were 28 cases of West Nile in Utah, including three deaths. And there have been cases of West Nile in Moab in the past. Are you anticipating that you'll have to do adulticide this year? We're prepared to. We want to do it in such a way we're not building resistance. So if we need to knock them down, we can knock them down real quick because there's very little resistance in the population. But if you routinely adulticide these, they quickly develop a resistance. And then what do you do? Then you're stuck with them and you have no backup plan. More information about the Moab Mosquito Abatement Plan can be found on their website, which is linked in today's show notes. The Moab City Council was in session this week. So, what happened at the what happened at the meeting? What uh, exactly happened at the meeting? Moab Sun News editor Maggie McGuire has the answer. At this week's Moab City Council meeting, elected officials unanimously passed a five-year contract for Moab City Police body and dash cam technology and the creation of an audit committee to assist with the annual financial audit process. Council members also heard an update on the planned Cane Creek Boulevard reconstruction project which could receive state funding next month. The plans include significant complete streets upgrades to slow traffic and welcome pedestrians, in addition to repairing damage along a stretch of road that measures less than a mile. And that's what happened at this week's Moab City Council meeting. Find recaps of local government meetings at moabsunnews.com, or you can watch these meetings on the Moab City Government YouTube page. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. During a high water season, most people might be thinking about the rivers or future flooding, but fire managers have something else on their mind. Doug McMurdo of the Times Independent spoke with Molly Marcello about the bumper crop of fire fuels around the valley. We had so much wet winter, wet spring. Uh, The weeds are here. They come every spring, but they, they came in force this year. We need to mow our weeds down. We need to cut them down because the risk of fire danger in town and in the county is extreme. I've spent hours and hours and hours creating a a defensible space around my property just so uh, my dog and I can survive, hopefully, if, if a fire does break out. But yeah, it's really bad. And there's experts out there that tell you what you need to do and why you need to do it. You've got like these ladder fuels. First, you have your fine fuels, which are grasses, and grasses are really thick really healthy and right now is the perfect time to mow them because they're still wet but they're drying out rapidly and when they dry out you know you're still going to need to mow them but uh you know cleaning them up it's going to be a lot rougher and you can even start a fire when you mow them because your blade if you're using a mower could strike a rock spark it and start a fire on your own property Um, we we don't want that to happen so it is kind of urgent that people uh, take this seriously and um, create some defensible space around around their property and i see that there's a photo in the times independent of some moab valley fire department staffers looks like they were um, with some members of team rubicon um, quite recently clearing working to clear underbrush from mill and pack creeks yeah, a lot of that work on that. And there's actually a, a before and after photo that uh, Kara sent me, Karen Dorenrand. It's just incredible, the, the work that they're doing, just re- getting rid of all that stuff. Because we, we certainly don't want the creeks to catch on fire because they are definitely overgrown.
Okay, anything else to say about this high fire danger article in the Times Independent? Well, it's just, um, you know, Sophia, the reporter, she she makes it clear, you know, it's we always know that these things are, are happening when, when it's raining, when we're having the weather. In the back of our minds, we're thinking that we're going to have a lot of weeds. And the weeds always seem to get here sooner than we want them to. And, and it can be overwhelming. Um, and so mowing, I think, is probably the best or, or weed eating if you, have a, if you have a durable, you know, robust weed eater. Because some of those stalks on some of those weeds are pretty thick already and it's, it's hard to, to get them down. But I bet you I have between um, my place and um, my partner's businesses, um, I bet you I've taken care of an acre of weeds. Yeah, and Doug, you even took some weeds from our property at KZMU. We did. Uh, yeah, we. We, yeah, we made you guys bag them up, but we did dispose of them for you. Yeah, I'm the weed guy. <laughs> well, there's there's more to highlight in this week's edition of the Times Independent. Where would you like to go next? Um, Stephen Stocks, county attorney, Grand County Attorney Stephen Stocks, uh, had the misfortune of losing both of his attorneys last week within hours. Now, that sounds really nefarious and like some kind of drama is going on over at the county attorney's office, but it's not quite that sexy. Um he had uh, Eddie Cervantes was an attorney who had been hired for quite a while, but he was uh, studying for the bar exam. He took the bar exam. He passed the bar exam. And all of a sudden there was a strong need to go back home to Chicago. So he's marketable now. So he, he got he got his license. He got his ticket to practice law. And um, he very cordially put in his notice. And then a few hours later, um, Colleen McGee, who is basically, it wasn't her title, I guess, but she was basically the chief prosecutor for Stephen's office and for Christina Sloan's office. Uh, she was hired by Christina. Yeah, doing a lot of criminal cases. Yeah, she put in her uh, two-week notice um, and Stephen uh, readily accepted it. Um, and uh, there was a help-wanted uh, notice put out uh, that same day. Um, he, again, couldn't say anything. Um, and I don't know why Colleen left, and I'm not going to venture a guess there. So, you know, what what does this mean for the county attorney's office then? This means that Stephen Stocks might be pushing the legislature to make a day 30 hours long <laughs> instead of 24. He's going to be, he's the, he's the county's attorney, the county commission's attorney, and, and all the department heads, he's their, he's their um, legal counsel. And he also handles all of the prosecutions in both district and justice court. And, and that's going to be a lot. Now, I will say that he has a very uh, competent staff of paralegals that can help him keep his calendar and make his court cases. I think that criminal court is probably going to take priority. So he might have to be, if something big happens with the city or the county, rather, um, they might have to hire a contract attorney to come in and represent whatever that issue is, rather than uh, having Stephen take that on. And, you know, hiring people is tough. Even lawyers have a hard time finding a place to live uh, in Grand County. So it's he's in a sticky wicket, as they say in England. Well, moving on, let's go to the inside of the paper. Um, there's a big special section in this week's edition of the Times Independent 
all about graduation. Big graduation section. So what what's in there? Well, there's a couple of things I want people to be aware of. This is, uh, uh, we did a story on uh, Lillian Scott. She's the valedictorian. And Maggie Groen, she's the uh, salutatorian. And Maggie and Lily have been best friends since seventh grade. And they push each other. And they really opened up uh, during the interview and talked about what it was like during the pandemic and lockdown and how difficult a lot of students found online remote learning, but uh, because they had you know awesome support networks at home and with with their friends that they were able to uh, um, you know excel. Uh, obviously, they're both graduating with 4.0 uh, grade point averages. Um, both of them were heavily involved in school activities. They both have uh, ambitious plans for for after high school. Um, Lily's going to Oklahoma. Lily's going to major in business with a minor in English. She's going to have her own career, and then she's going to uh, give back to uh, by becoming a, a teacher. So she's going to have a minor in English, so it'll be easy to get that teaching certificate. And um, Maggie is going to the University of Utah, and she's going to major in uh, chemical engineering. And her goal is to do something eventually that's uh, uh, regarding sustainability. She's big into sustainability and um, addressing climate change and not looking the other way. But the really important thing I want readers or listeners to understand is um, on our opinion page, we have a couple of opinion pieces written, one of them by Maggie and another one by Aislinn Whitney. And you read these and you're going to, if you don't have faith in the youth of today, you will after reading their columns. They're very personal, very well written. I did very little editing. Um, I was truly impressed and touched by, by the words that they wrote. So read those columns because it'll make your day. It really will. Doug McMurdo, editor at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. As area snowpack melts, Moab's river community is heading out to all kinds of canyons and drainage systems to seek out ephemeral rivers. Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News speaks with Molly Marcello about this watery phenomenon. It's a high water year. Um, as we all know, everyone's been going out on the daily and the daily is like very exciting now because, you know, we have these five foot waves, which never happens. But also something that happens during high water years is that we get these ephemeral rivers in the area. And so there are these hiking areas, like a couple slot canyons, and a lot of these are near the swell, that during high water years, they fill up with just enough water that they can then be floated. So a Moab's river community is heading out and doing these really cool ephemeral rivers that really only you can do for like a couple days in the year. But during high water years, you can do them for a couple weeks. So um, tell us about a few of these different rivers. Like which which ones are, are our local river community doing? Yeah, so the biggest one right now is Muddy Creek, which goes through a slot canyon near the swell. Um, it reaches its peak flow at around 250 CFS. So it's truly just a little trickle and it's like maybe a foot of water but it still gets up to you know there are a couple rapid sections and um, the slot canyon itself gets down to around eight feet wide which is very exciting and so it's this really cool opportunity to float something that is normally a hike Um, so Maggie wrote about this and she talked to Chad Niehaus 
um, and Brett Satir, who are both local um, river people, and they said this is very exciting in the river world because this is almost like a once in a lifetime um, type of event. So everyone's really excited. Okay, so the muddy muddy creek is running and people are doing it. Um, anything else to say about this piece in the Moab Sundays? Yeah, um, there are a couple other ephemeral rivers that we mentioned, and something that Chad Niehaus brought up um, that's really important is that even though this is only at you know like one of them is at like 100 cfs and muddy is at 250 um you still have to keep safety in mind so like you know bring a life jacket and um make sure you have patches for your craft because a lot of these rivers have um rocks and other kind of like invisible obstacles that the water buries um so still important to be safe but it is very fun moving on um let's go to another piece in the moab sun news this one is about a new exhibit that is opening in our area yeah so the john wesley powell river history museum in green river is bringing back an exhibit that was first on display in 2018. And this is an exhibit called Glen Canyon, A River Guide Remembers, which tells the story of uh, local guide Ken Sleet, who is super well known in this area. Um, and it tells the story of his river trips down Glen Canyon before the canyon was flooded. And so in the 1960s, when the Glen Canyon Dam went up, it flooded the Colorado River behind it, which filled Lake Powell, but then also flooded Glen Canyon and made us lose a lot of landscape features and archaeology sites um, all lost underwater. And so this exhibit kind of explores what floating the canyon was like before that. So this is an exhibit that is returning. If I'm remembering correctly, it was first at the River History Museum in Green River Mm -hmm. pre-pandemic. Yeah. Why did they bring it back? So I talked to Ryan Savino and Martha Hamm, who both created the museum exhibit. And they're bringing it back this year because Glen Canyon and Lake Powell have been in national news recently as Lake Powell has been dropping dangerously low and, you know, officials are kind of considering overhauling the dam. And so a lot of environmental activists and people who have been vocal about Glen Canyon are watching this really closely because um, a lot was lost and Martha Ham described it as um, she met Ken Slate in 1977 and heard about his experience in loving and losing Glen Canyon. Mm-hmm. And so really this exhibit um, kind of explores what was lost, but also continues this thought of preserving stories and how important it is to preserve wild places. Um, And so both Ryan and Martha said that they really want to give context to a lot of the conversations that are happening about Lake Powell, Um, like Glen Canyon and the how the river guides knew it is a really important piece to that story. And so um, they really want to continue it. And how long is the exhibit up? Yeah, so the exhibit will be up for a year, June 2024, and it opens on May 27th. There are a lot of artifacts in the exhibit and it kind of winds its way through um, like as visitors go through they're introduced to you know what people would have done on day one and day two and day three of this seven day trip and so um, they have some really cool artifacts like some of Ken's original cookware that he used on the river. Um, They have a little call out to Georgia O'Keeffe who also loved Glen Canyon and you know made a bunch of paintings about it Um, and they have these 
these really cool just kind of little call outs that Ryan called hidden stories like a lot of other artifacts and other photos mm-hmm. of people who also loved the canyon you know I think it's so interesting that they brought it back again especially as like more and more people think about Glen Canyon mm-hmm. and Lake Powell and Glen Canyon becoming revealed or like sort of dream about the potential for this again did Ryan or Martha talk a little bit about that yeah and the exhibit definitely talks about that too of um kind of giving context right now mm-hmm. and you know, um, what Glen Canyon looked like then, but then also what it might look like in the future. Uh, So this is kind of just a really important piece to the conversation. And then there's one more piece um, in the Mobs and News that uh, we want to get to. This is about an event. Yeah, so the Moab Music Festival is bringing back its spring. Um, It feels like summer, but technically it's still spring right now. So they're calling this the Spring Concert Series. Um, It's the High Water Concert Series, and last year was the first year, but this year they're bringing it back. Um, So there will be five concerts held from June 9th to the 17th with eight different artists. And what's important for the Moab community is... um, there will be a family-friendly concert. So kids are invited to come on this one. It's a little hiking concert, um, and people will hike out to an undisclosed location um, and then hear the Hot House West Quartet play a bunch of swing Disney music. What? Very fun. So swing music, but it's also Disney-related. Yes. So this is like They'll play like Bare Necessities. Is like Under the Sea maybe another one? Possibly Under the Sea. The big thing about the Moog Music Festival is they keep um, some of their locations a secret and then they're also keeping this uh, lineup a secret for this concert. And so it'll be a surprise to whoever goes. So these are for people who, you know, basically want uh, want to be surprised in their life and they just want to show up no matter what the music is <laughs> well some of the other concerts have the music but okay. this family-friendly one um there will be kind of like a new selection which will be very fun um and tickets are 25 dollars for adults and five for children and then also there will be a community concert which is always a staple of the mode music festivals um that'll be on june 11th at old city park it's free and it'll feature all the artists who are playing in the festival and will give people who go a sampling of the entire series lineup so that one's always very fun for Moab locals and that's also the point like I talked to Amy Weiser who's the new executive director and she said um, it's really important to the festival to try to give back to the community and introduce people to what they do. Allison Harford reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel where we check in with reporters on their latest stories from the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.